as I said, um, I'm not actually doing a sermon today. This is much more a word from the Lord because I just wish you could have been with me for the last two weeks. It has been an absolutely extraordinary two weeks for me and the Lord. Um, in ways that are not normal for how my life goes. Normally my life is a combination of some strategic, which is my wheelhouse stuff, what I like the best, but then a whole lot of, you know, right on the ground execution. That's what my life is filled with, overflowing with. And it's hard, as all of you know, that when you're really in the, in the mire of the details, it's hard oftentimes to keep the forest in mind and to, and to get that. And so for the last two weeks, the Lord has drawn me out of the daily detail grind. And he's let me see from 50,000 feet what he's been doing for the last 10 years. And I'm telling you, it has been absolutely striking. Just, just like... Mind-blowing, and, and, and for, that, for that really great God reason, because you know, whenever God's giving you a really big revelation, not every time, but almost all the time, it's so obvious that you're going, well, duh, why didn't I know that? And we did kind of know it, but not really. We didn't get it. And so I'm just going to be giving you essentially a word from the Lord today. In order to set that up before we get to our prayer, and I'm going to do this quickly, because we've talked about it a lot, but I just need everybody to be on the same page. So there's two major things that we've done in the last 10 years, essentially. The first one happened right about this time of year. I was on my walk, and you know, I live downtown Bellevue, and I walk up to Viewcrest, and it's really beautiful. At the very end of my walk, as I was coming down, out of the blue and in a way that I had, was totally shocked by, this was pre-crash of 2008, the Lord said to me, discipleship is in the toilet for the American church. Everything I'm talking about today is the American church, okay? I'm not talking about the church around the world. This is a word for the American church, okay? And he said, discipleship's in the toilet. And I was like, what does that mean? And I didn't know. And I spent day after day. And finally, as God started making it more and more clear, I started bringing it back to the staff. And we started working with it. What does this mean? And what are we supposed to do about it? And we, became to, we came to understand a little thing that you've heard before, which is we say, oh, by the way, this, this thing is a, a word from the Lord, the 50,000-foot view, but is the pros of the problem. And what that meant was simply this. What God intended church to be was a participatory moment for a community to come together and celebrate and worship the Lord. It was not meant to be a commuter I mean, a, a, um, a spectator sport. It was meant to be something where everybody brought their gifts, everybody comes together, everybody contributes. The body as a whole does this. Now, this morning, we've had a lot of that, haven't we? Different words from different people and, and all this kind of stuff and a lot of participation from the body. And Lake Sam does a lot of this. But what God meant it to be was this thing where everybody was coming together and everybody was contributing, and that would make everybody grow. Because as you're contributing, as you're participating, as you're doing what he's leading you to do, you run into problems. Sometimes it's the actual ministry, like somebody you're ministering to and you don't know what to do, so you have to cry out, God help me. Sometimes it's the person that you're working with. <laughs> God, what do I do about that person? <laughs> this person's part's going great, but that person I'm not so sure about. 
But you see it in all of these things in a, in a hundred different ways that I'm not going to go into, but you get it. In a hundred different ways, God meant us to be doing something. You remember we did college in Luke where we watched what God did. So the disciples. And then he sent them out. And from then on, they were involved in whatever was happening, and that's how they learned. That's how they grew. That's how God's trying to grow us. And what I realized, what, what God showed us was, is that before the crash of 2008, when God said disciples were in the toilet, and he also said, I'm going to blow up the church, and he did. And he sucked a tremendous amount of money out of the church all of a sudden. This church, because we were listening to the Lord, was ahead of the curve, and we were already making the adjustment that many churches had to make by necessity. But we were already in process of making an adjustment, which was, we need to turn ministry back to the body. We have pros that have been hired to do the ministry, and they're growing great, fantastic, wonderful, incredible. But people? Not so much. In fact, I'm going to show you how not so much in a moment. Having said that, I need to go to the second major thing that has happened, and that is, we started a series in Luke about five years ago. And that series in Luke, I think that this illustration just perfectly pictures what it's about and still is about, but also what was in my head. This is this, this fire coming down, the Holy Spirit coming down, coming upon you so that God can move through you to do whatever he wants to do. Now, I want to confess something, which I've already confessed before, but when we started Luke, I intended, and I told everybody at the very beginning, this is about how do we move in more miracles. This church was already moving in lots of miraculous things, but it was not the fullness that Scripture prescribes. Greater things than these will you do, and walking, looking at Jesus' life, looking at the disciples' life, we were not experiencing that. We were experiencing something relatively more, but not that. And so I meant for Luke to be about miracles. How do you do miracles, God? What are we missing? What are we doing wrong? Now, God had in mind something entirely different, and it should be pretty obvious as to what it was, because remember what I said at the very beginning is I said, we're going to see how God took a bunch of fishermen and turned them into the apostles. And as we watch how he did that, we're going to go through the same journey with them. That's what we've been doing the whole time from the very beginning. But... This, these last five years have been the most important five years of my ministerial life, and that's almost 40 years now. I, there hasn't been anything that God totally changed me on. You know what I mean? Like I knew this, and that it was totally wrong, and he changed me, my mind. But everything that I knew and had been teaching for all these years in a pretty profitable way, God took and made them so much deeper that I felt like, and still too to this day, that everything that I felt before then was superficial relatively. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit wasn't moving and saying things that were important and so on, but what I'm saying is, is he took things and made them so much richer and deeper to me. And you're going to see something. He did that for you too, and I can prove it to you as I'll show you on some slides and coming up here in a little bit. But God has been doing an extraordinary thing, and I want to say it this way. It's not about the miracles at all. <laughs> Now, the miracles are still in, in view, because that is part of what it is to move and to walk and to be as a Christian, right? But the bottom line is, is what he showed us was who he is. What he showed us is, is who he is, how he is, 
what he does, why he does it, everything in the most tender and precious and transformative ways that I've ever seen, heard, been a part of. So this is what God has been doing, and now I believe he has brought us to a place. And here's the place he's brought us to. This is a question. And I think that this has been in view by the Lord for 10 years. I didn't really realize it until these last two weeks when he started showing me. And this is the question I think God has been trying to get us to deal with, and it's the question that we're in right now. As we come to the end of Luke, we are done now. Literally, the last sermon that I preached is the last time that it's about the disciples. There's still things that are going to happen, his arrest, death, and resurrection, that are going to greatly inform everything that came before, right? What happens next is going to greatly change him, but everything that had to do with the disciples and him teaching the disciples directly and all that, that is done as of two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now. And here's what I think he wants us to see right here at the end so that we start embracing the new season that he's trying to take us into. He's had us in a season, and he's now taking us into a new one, and it goes like this. What is a true Christian, and therefore Christianity, supposed to look like? I'm not saying look like as in be superficial and look right but not be right. You understand that, right? What I'm saying is, is how do you actually be what God intended you to be that your walk and your life and your Christianity and the Christianity that you experience with one another actually looks like what God intended. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand something. That is so darling. <laughs> in, in a few years, honey. If we don't get this, if we can't answer this question, then we will fail to be equipped to enter into what he's bringing next, and it will be a struggle. I can tell you right now, given what he's about to tell you, it's going to be a kind of a struggle already, but it won't be a hard one. But if we do what most of the church has done, Since 2008, when God didn't just tell Lake Sam disciples it was the toilet, he told everybody. And you know what most churches have done? Just tried to get through the tough time and go back to business as usual. But here's what I'm saying. I don't think he's going to let that happen. I think he's given us 10 years to get something worked out. And you've seen an awful lot of the church get a lot more serious about discipleship. So when I say this, there's a lot of the church that has, in fact, responded. But the bottom line is, when he does what he's going to do next, if you're not prepared, it's going to be, he's loving and he gets you there, okay? But that doesn't mean it's easy. It has a certain brutalness to it. Because I think the thing that he's asking us for is such a radical transformation. Here, here's the answer that I can give you as a, as a hint to where I'm going. When he showed me what he wants the, the typical, the normal, the true Christian to look like, and therefore Christianity, my response was, is, oh my God, we don't look at anything like that at all. And even though in this church, I think we've taken enormous strides towards that, 
I think we're at like the 10 to 15% of what he's intending to do. Now, here's the point. We'll either do it or we won't. If we don't do it, then Christianity will continue to sunset as it has in Europe, as it's sun rising in Asia, and so on. But if you want to be part of what God is doing, you're going to want to listen to what he's saying right now, and you're going to want to get it into your heart and understand. He's not trying to bring condemnation to anybody through this word at all. What he's saying is, I'm about to do something in a way that if you understand what I'm doing, you can move with me. If you don't, you're going to end up resisting. And it's going to be a lot harder. So with that in mind, Roger Max. See, now Roger Max, God does this. Everyone always goes, oh, you always say that. But I'm telling you, this is the perfect person to have pray for this. <laughs> Roger Maddox has been an elder of this church basically since day one. Since a very early day, we identified John and Roger as two people that God had raised up to honor their hearts about this body. And that's exactly, so you are the absolute perfect person to be praying for us today, Roger. And thank Only because John's not here. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Go ahead, pray for us in another church. Thank you, Lord. God, you are so good. You are so faithful, God, to do the work that you want to do in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives. Teach us, God, today. Speak to us. Um, we surrender our minds and our hearts and our spirits to you, God, today to receive from you through Kurt what it is you want to share, what it is you want to direct us to do, you, what it is that you want to make in us and build in us and create in us, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to do that and you just keep being faithful. You keep bringing us further and further into what is the life that you have for us, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I pray for Kurt, Lord, that he would be able to speak the truth in a way that we can hear uh, and just give us ears to hear your words through him, God. I pray, Lord, that your word would be spoken, that your word would be delivered, and it would be received by each one of us, Lord, and those who are hearing uh, through the stream as well, God. I just pray, Lord, for your will to be done today, God. Amen. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I've just been uh, I've just had Bruce Crow and the team over in, in uh, Ukraine and Minsk on my hearts for a while now. Yeah, so I just Jesus. pray for them, that your word would be powerfully spoken Amen. in the former Soviet Union and all throughout that, that area, God, Thank that you, you would be glorified and you would be raised up. Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. That is awesome, Roger. By the way, I want to tell you if, you, if you look at me closely, you're going to see I'm wearing some makeup. I don't wear makeup, I promise. If you look at me from a distance every once in a while, particularly people who are streaming right now, if you see my face close up, I've been marked, okay? So I'm all, I got bur everything burned off, okay? I, I went in for one little thing, and to his credit, he said, let me just take care of everything. So he just started burning my whole face off. It, he started off by saying, he said, do you want a rubber ball to squeeze on? And I was like, no, I'm a man, I can take it. You know what I mean? About halfway through, I'm burning half of my face off. I kind of went, where's the whiskey and the bullet I'm supposed to be chomping on? You know, what, what the heck? Okay, so just telling you, I'm not sick or anything. It's just, it's all going to go away, but whatever. All right.
So, so as I said, there was two major things, this word from the Lord in 2008, and then the beginning of this series about five years later, about halfway through. There's also two major things that he has led us to do as a church to greatly increase discipleship. And the first one was steering teams, which started right in 2008. When we figured out that the pros were the problem, we returned ministry to the body in the form of steering teams. Now, I want to tell you, steering teams right now are not doing well, but we had six or seven years of unbelievable profit from them, and we know what to do next. The Lord has shown us, but there's some things we have to put in place, two of which I want to say is Kevin Perales and Justine. So both of whom, Justine is going to be coming on as full-time as possible in the fall, and Kevin is already on, and they're part of it. We're not going back to a pastor-led paradigm at all. We're still fully committed to raising up the body, do the work of the ministry, but we realize there was a piece missing to help that be a continual thing. So we're restoring a, a, a level that's going to help that thrive, okay, on, for the long, long haul. But having said that, I just want to do something. Why was that important? Now, 2008, God says discipleship's in the toilet. You couldn't find a piece of research anywhere that said that was true. To the contrary, churches were exploding in growth. There were two, I, I said back in 2006 and 7, I said, we're in a revival period. And by the time 2008 was there, we had an explosion of mega churches and of lots of people going to church and, and people getting serious about their faith again and so on. It was an amazing time. Having said that, there was another thing that was happening. Because there was so much money, which God then took away, but because there was so much money, everybody was hiring pros to do all the things. That's why the pros are the problem. And so the ministry was going to the professionals and the body was having to do less and less and less. Church went from being a participatory moment experience of community to being a consumer experience. Critique the worship, critique the sermon, critique the service, critique the length of the service, critique, 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 critique. And I've picked the one that is best for me, not because God led me, but because this is what I like. It was really not terribly different than going to a movie. An hour-long service, unbelievable worship, powerful, right-to-the-heart word about something practical in your life. But here's what was happening underneath all of that. In 2010, a stat came out. I should have found the stat. I didn't think to do it until I was this morning, and then it was too late. But a stat came out in 2010, which is when all the statistics came out, when we found out, oh my God, discipleship really is in the toilet. But there was one stat in particular that, that speaks to how bad things got. In 2010, and this is primarily megachurches now, in the average megachurch, less than 50% of the people sitting in the pews on an average Sunday believed that Jesus was the only way to God. Now here's the problem. He is the only way to God. And he made it super clear. First of all, by saying it over and over, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. How much more clear would you like it to be? Jesus is the only way to God. 
Now watch, though, watch this. Watch what's happened over the last 10 years because things are changing quickly, if you haven't noticed. But back in 2010, we didn't even have what we're about to talk about, which is the millennial aspect of this. Back in 2010, what we had was, how could people sit in a church and worship God and say that Jesus wasn't the only way? How could they do that? Well, there's a, there's a fundamental reason that we're getting to, but the more superficial reason was this. Well, you know, you know, there's a lot of people around the world, and they haven't all heard about Jesus, and there's these other religions, and there's a lot of well-meaning people, which there are. People who have something in their heart, and they know that something's wrong, and they're trying to get back to God, and they're doing things. And so there's well-meaning people that are doing things. And surely Jesus and God and his grace is in these religions helping these people to see and to experience these things. And I want to say something. In the margins, there's actually truth in that. There actually is truth in the fact that people have come to God through all kinds of religions. But you do have to come to ultimately the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture, which is at odds with every other religion. And here's exactly where it's at odds. And this is, this is what Christianity is, okay? What Christianity recognizes, along with every religion is, there's a gulf between us and God, a gap. There's things that we do that are not his will that distance us from him. There are choices we make that cause us to be separated from him. Now, every other religion says, get back to God. Do Ramadans, you know, meditate, uh, nirvana, karma, etc. Every other religion does whatever it can in order to get you back to God, right? Now, what Christianity says is, is God let us do all of that for thousands of years, called the Old Testament. Try to get back to God on your own. Try. Nobody ever did. And so what the New Testament is, the revolutionary thing in the world, the thing that is completely unique and at odds with every other religion is this and this alone. Christianity is God saying, you can't. I've proven it to you. You've proven it to yourself. But I love you. I'm not mad at you. And so I'm coming to you to take upon myself what was due you and your choices. And if you receive that free gift, not working your way back to God, if you receive the free gift of what Christ did on the cross, I will make you new. And you will have a new nature and a new wanter inside that will cause you a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, and a new spirit in you that will make you want to do the things of God, whereas you don't now. And that's, I'm bringing you back into relationship with me, and then I'm going to help you start living evermore the life that I have for you. Now, how do you sit in a church and call yourself a Christian and not understand how critical Jesus is. Because Jesus is God. And he died for you. And if there's another religion that gets you to God, then Jesus himself in the garden said, if there's some other way, let that be happening. Let that happen. Don't have me have to go to the cross and die but the fact that he had to go to the cross and die is the proof that that was the only way to do it. And it has been the evidence for, you know, two, three billion people. But now watch. 
Watch, watch. See now, in that day and age, when we said that, that was the way that people would think about it. And there's a reason why they were able to think that way, which is what we're really getting to. What was going on in church that made people able to think such things? What was not happening in church that would have stopped them from thinking such things? That's where we're ultimately going. But right now we're looking at this and we're saying, you take that problem right there and understand something. In the old days, before about 2010, but even before that, when people in this culture of America, almost everybody grew up with some degree of Christianity. Even if you weren't a Christian, you certainly knew about it. Prayer in the schools, uh, you know, at, at all the public functions. There was this fundamental thing that everybody knew something about, and you didn't have to talk to people about Jesus dying for them. Maybe not everybody understood it perfectly and so on, but that was not a foreign concept to people. And so when you were trying to have somebody come into a relationship with Christ, there was a foundation upon which you could build. Here's what's happened in the last 10 years. That foundation is disappearing at an incredibly rapid rate. This is research from 2015, and then it's been updated in 2018, but I like this statement from the original research. This is Pew. There's Pew, Gallup, and Barna. They're the big researchers. The nuns, the rise of the nuns. It's a category that includes people who self-identify as atheists or agnostics, as well as those who say their religion is nothing in particular. It doesn't mean they don't even believe that there's not a God. It's just that there's no religious aspect to it. There's no, it's just not anything to them. And in 2015, they were 23% of U.S. adults. That's very important. The whole population. 16 per, from 16% in 2007. That's a, what's the percentage rise on that? Who's the good math? Is that 50% roughly? A little bit, little, little, just a little under 50% rise in from, seven to, from 2007 to 2015, which is eight years. In 2015 to 2018, that same number is now 26 to 31%, depending on whose research you want to use. So let's just take 30% to make it easy. That means we've almost doubled in 10 years. And the rate of increase has increased. The, rate, the curve is like this. There isn't a foundation anymore, guys. I'm not saying it's not in anybody, but here, here's, here's, here's where it gets really striking. And again, I could have pulled the statistics for you, but I've done them a lot, so I'm not doing it right now. Go to the millennial generation and ask them. Do the research on them. We're over 50%. The generation that's coming up has been raised without a God or without any foundation of a God or without any underpinning of a God or without anything at all. And the, and the degree to which they are not believing and the degree to which that zeitgeist is taking over the spirit of the age, not just to mention their demographics, because they are by far the largest demographic to come through since the boomers. And so what we have is this unbelievable thing. And, and here's what I want you to see. See, that totally changes the dynamic of the game, doesn't it? In one, you have a foundation of something where somebody may have walked away or something, but at least you have some sort of communication. And now what we've got is, is there's no understanding of what that means at all. I said in LA before I came up here, the reason why I wanted to go back to LA was it was a place in the country where you could go and people had never heard anything about God before. Well, now that's everywhere.
Things always come from California. It's like a virus. But I want you to understand from a millennial standpoint, now put the zeitgeist on. Now here's what I've said about millennialism, and I think that this is from God. Millennialism is from God. All the things are from God. There's always a good thing that God's doing, and then something else that comes along with it that isn't God. But here's the good thing that God is doing in millennialism, and this is super important because this is what identifies the important thing that's been going on in our culture since Trump's election. Here's what God's actually been trying to do through this tremendous division and argumentation and, and all the stuff and Facebook collapsing because of this and so on. Here's what's been going on. Here's what God's been trying to do. This is the basic fundamental truth of millennialism. It's not the only one, but it is the, it is the basic fundamental that is extremely important for every Christian to understand. You cannot understand another culture's life. As much as you may think that you're empathetic, as much as you may try, and you're supposed to be empathetic. Remember, God is the ultimate empathizer because he comes off of his throne where he could be accused of not knowing what our life is. And he came here and he lived our life. So he knows exactly our life. And what God is trying to get Christians to do is to understand that if you're not black, you don't understand what it means to be black. You do not understand it. Now you're to try but you have to hold out something that you cannot understand it fully. If you are not gay, you cannot understand what they're thinking. You can say that's not God's best for you, but there's another area. How would Jesus approach something like this? Would he say, you dirty, rotten human being? Is that what he said? You know the only person he ever said that to? Religious people. But a whole bunch of sinners, what he said was he identified the fact that he knew where they were coming from. And from there, he said things of life, deeper and better truths. But he didn't come at it from above or from outside. He came at it from inside. He came at it from empathy. He came at it from a place. And what Millennium has done is get us to get into a place to where all of us are having to work through. And some people are more naturally empathetic than others. So it's harder for some. But what God is trying to get the whole culture to do is to understand there are ways that you think that are biased and prejudiced and privileged, and that's true, whether you think it's true or not. Your experience of what you think this country is and what you think life is, is different than what another culture's experience is of that same country and life. That doesn't necessarily excuse behaviors. It doesn't do, I'm not arguing about anything about all the details that get argued about endlessly. What I'm saying is, is God is trying to teach us to understand our own blindness that we might become more empathetic like him. Now that's a strength he's trying to build into us. But your strength is your weakness. Watch this. Millennialism has become the zeitgeist now. That means it's become the spirit of the age. It wasn't in 2010. In the last five, six years, it's become the way everybody thinks. When you hear the statement, when a millennial hears the statement, Jesus is the only way to God, do you know what it sounds like to a millennial? How arrogant. How elitist. How privileged. How narrow. It worked for you because you got the advantage of it, but it's been an anvil upon our heads. 
used to harm us. And the unfortunate truth of it is, that's, there's some truth in it. There's not as much truth as some would claim, but to say that there's none is also a lie, right? Here's why I'm going after this. I want you to understand where the culture really is, not where we think it is because of who we are as Christians. Here's where the culture really is. A friend, a really good friend, if you're listening to this, I love you. I, I didn't feel the need to ask him for this, but you're going to see why, and I'm not letting anything out of it. But there was a post that a friend, a, really, a person I really love made about the thing that we've talked about in church a couple times, which is that rat experiment about heroin and drug addiction. And the idea was is that, if, is that the original test on drug addiction was with a rat in isolation, all alone, with no entertainment and no social and nothing else. And what happened was is that the rats took the drugs until they died. And we said, see, that's what addiction is. But a little bit later, somebody said, gee, what if you put them in a different environment? What if you put that rat amongst other rats with lots of fun things to do, wheels and so on? Will they still kill themselves with the drugs? And it turns out they won't. And so what it did, and we talked about this years ago, and we talked about how we need to be changing and rethinking how we think about drug policy because it has an awful lot to do with relationships. It has a lot to do with getting connected with each other. It has a lot to do with being fulfilled in life. It has a lot to do with a lot of things. And what we've been doing with this policy a lot has been to isolate people, which is just making it worse. Right? So... This is what we talked about. But this person posted and said, as religion made him do, like religion was the problem that brought about this whole study and this whole way of thing, that that was a religious thing. And I just pushed back a little bit. I just said, why are you including religion in this? This is A, something we've talked about. B, something I believe in. C, it seems to me like religion is a socializing thing. It's a thing that brings people into community in an era and a time when it's increasingly easy to become incredibly isolated, even while you have the semblance of socialization through Facebook and so on, but to not actually be with people. And I said, why are you saying this? Now, understand, this person comes from a Christian cult. Now, he might not even think of it that way, and, but this is Christian cult means the cult believes themselves to be Christian, just more Christian than Christians. But Christianity looked at it in a historical way from theology and so on, would look at it and say, there's fundamental tenets of what it is to be a Christian that you are not that you have denied. And a works based as much in this particular cult. And so something happened that really hurt this person. And so he was, he found this study and he connected risen to it and said, look at how religion is manifesting this really bad thing. But now watch what he said in the post. By the way, I want to say something. In our exchange, he was incredibly complimentary to me and this church. Because I said, but that's not what we do. And he said, I know you don't do this, and that's, you're not who I'm talking about, and I really love the way that you guys do what you do, because it's somebody who has some exposure to this body. But I want you to hear what he said at the end of one of his posts, in my opinion, that's IMO, right? Religion is as dangerous or more so than drugs. This is not just a lack of foundation this is an attitude of rejection of religion. You know what the most popular musical has been for the last about seven years? The Book of Mormon. 
The writer of the Book of Mormon, also the writer of South Park, who, a show that I absolutely love, and I shouldn't, and you guys should, you guys could stone me for it, okay? There's a lot of really bad things in it, and I do not recommend it, but there's also, there's also some unbelievably insightful satire. Unbelievable. So do not watch it. Do not say, my pastor told me to start watching South Park. Oh my God. But, the Book of Mormon, the writer of it, Stone, said, I used to think of religion as dangerous. I came to the place where I just thought of it as silly and having some helpful aspects. Like, like they stumbled into doing some good for some people. Here's what I said back to my friend. Because this is my life. You're going to tell me, I want to tell you how much better religion is than drugs. Because I can tell you about the heroin addict that we took into our house and let him live with us for years. And he's deeply a part of our lives. I want to tell you about the number of people that have estranged themselves completely from every relationship, familial and relational that they had, and they are completely isolated in the world, and we went to them and reconnected them with people. And this church, through, through I just looked over at you, Chris, through what you do and Julie does, and, and what the AA community does here and so on, the way that you guys are connecting people into real community loving on them, bringing them in. I'm not saying they're successful in every single aspect, but it's unbelievable the amount of incredibly important life-giving work that is being done out of this church, and I want to thank you for that. I'm looking at some of the people who are deeply involved in this. It's extraordinary. It's what church is supposed to be. It's who God is, trying to reconnect people with him and one another. Here's how you sit in a church and don't understand that Jesus is God, died for you. Just don't do anything. Or serve on a thing where you set up chairs. Setting up chairs is super important, okay? Thank you for everybody who sets up chairs. But if that's your quote-unquote service, your gift... It's really easy to lose connection with the real God because you're not doing the real God. You're not doing anything that is the real God. Here's how you get connected back to God. You let the Holy Spirit come on you. You let the Holy Spirit flow through you. You let the Holy Spirit go into somebody's heart and you watch the Holy Spirit make a difference in somebody's life. You don't wonder whether or not Jesus is God anymore. And you don't wonder about whether he's not the only way or not. You don't, your doctrine and your theology follow. Your doc, they, they get right because you're working with God and he's correcting it and straightening you out. He's discipling you as you become an instrument of his. This is how it works. Now I said something a little while ago and, and listen to me here. When we first heard that discipleship was in the toilet, that we needed to do something, there is this old saying, right? 
All organizations are perfectly designed to get the results they're now getting. If we want different results, we must change the way we do things. Now, that's what we did back in 2008. We deconstructed church and pastoral ministry, and we gave it back to everybody. We deconstructed what we do in order to create something new because we knew that if we kept doing what we were doing, we would keep getting the results that we were getting, which was a lack of discipleship, that we had to do something that was going to cost us, and it did. Our professionalism in a whole lot of ways went down. And I want to say something. Now watch this. Our professionalism right now with steering teams, they're they're hardly functioning at this point in time. It's not that they're not on our radar. It's not that we're not working on it. But I'm telling you, we're not doing much on it. It had a really great run six or seven years. And then for the last three, they they just haven't been non-existent. We've been doing other things just to sort of make things happen. This is what happens when you're trying to find a new way to get to where God wants you to go. The way that everybody is going is well-trod. And what happens in life is you begin to discover what the problem is with that way. And so God starts to move you to a new target, and he starts to have you have to hack your way through the weeds and through the swamp and through the forest. And you're hacking your way, trying to find a new way, and every once in a while, you get off track. We're off track right now on steering teams. We're getting back on track again, but we're just not there right now. But that's what happens when you're trying to find a new way. Once you find that way, then everybody can look and go, oh, that's how you do that kind of ministry. This is how you get people reinvolved genuinely in ministry. But I want you to see something about what's been happening at this church. How many of you have spoken in this church? Raise your hands. How many of you have spoken in ways that weren't just the... By the way, is is there there another church you've ever... I'm not patting ourselves on the back about how great Lake Sam is. Don't misunderstand this. This isn't a prideful thing. I want to show you something about what God's doing so that we can see what he's doing. Is there another church where that would be the case? That many hands going up? Anywhere? Ever? Have you noticed that every time I preach, there's some experiential moment during the sermon? a lengthy period of time where we're actually doing something. Now, I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm not saying, well, we gotta have that moment. I'm just letting the Lord lead, and what the Lord is leading is a whole lot of these kinds of moments. What happened at Lake Sam was we started off with steering teams and getting this idea that people were supposed to do something. That you're supposed to be involved. In fact, if I had to say it this way, what that steering team was really about was participation. And here's what I want to tell you. This, I'm going to show you now some results of something. This became part of our DNA. We were a, we were a consumer church. We had fantastic worship. We had what I think to be good messages. And we were a consumer church where we still had a lot of participation, a lot of people doing things. But does, was anybody else, or was anybody around long enough ago, this was about 2000, this was in 2009, I think it was the early, yeah, it was in the winter, the spring of 2009. Does anybody remember the first time we did a reveal survey at this church? Who was around for that? Okay. Now, when we first did our reveal survey, here's why we did it. It was 2008. We were just starting steering teams. We were saying, we want to understand a way of measuring whether or not what we did worked. And so we did a study, we did a survey, 
And we found out from this incredibly sophisticated survey that we were actually on par relative to other churches. We were actually doing quite well. We literally were in the top 10% of all churches in our first survey. But we were going through a major change. Steering teams, participation. Now what happened was, in, in five years later, we did it again. We took the survey again, which was to take the first snapshot, the before and after picture, right, of the diet plan. When we took the after picture, the people called us up and said, what are you doing? We've not seen any kind of results like this in any other reveal study that we've ever done. Whereas you, whereas you always have positive numbers and the, hard, the larger the positive number, the worse you're doing. You guys were already kind of low on your positive numbers, but now you've taken and you've got a whole bunch of negative numbers, which would seem bad, right? But it's not bad. What it meant was, is that you're so far exceeding what, we can, what people are expecting and what's happening that you're, there's like, there's nothing to do to the contrary. Just keep doing what you're doing. What are you doing? Why are people responding like this? They literally were asking us this question. I wish I could have played you the recording from that tape. Well, here's what we did. Because we're now going after communities, the second big thing, steering team and then communities, because we realize that there's something even about participation in ministry, but there's something about life in life that we're missing in the modern church particularly as we commute in and it's for an hour and then we commute back and then what? Maybe you come to an hour-long Bible study or some other kind of a thing, but nothing really, really, right? Like a couple of meetings and that's supposed to be life on life? That's not biblical. And so we want to take a snapshot before communities and after. Well, we took the snapshot on communities and here's what I want you to see. They have, test, they have done hundreds and hundreds of churches now because they've been rolling this out across the country and people knew them from before and so they're taking this new version of it. And we, you see us up in the upper right-hand corner? Here's what this means. Why did that, oh, you just can't see it. Okay, you see the axes here, there's a middle point and then you see weaker best practices over here. That means best practices, but they're not very good. And stronger best practices are over here to the right. And then you see this thing where it says spiritually strong. What's happening here? Okay, excuse me. Spiritually strong and then spiritually weak. Obviously, you want to be spiritually strong doing strong best practices, right? So that means where you want to be is as far off to the right as you can be. Guess what we are? We're as far off to the right as you can be. The person who did the test for us said, we haven't found a church in this profile yet. In, on the hundreds of churches we've looked at, we haven't found one church in this profile. And our sub-archetype was self-motivated. What they said was, is it's clear it's not, it's, not, it's not not the church, but it's not the church. It's the people are responding and finding a real relationship with God to an extraordinary degree that we have not seen. In fact, let me show you this next thing. Now, I have to explain this to you. It's going to take me one second. But I, I want you to feel really, really good about this because I'm telling, we were talking and the person that was talking was saying, what are you doing? And then we would explain what we're doing. And she said, I've never heard of that before. Having people preach. The, the way that we open, other people will do this, but not very many, where we open the word to anybody who wants to give a word. Where, we are, where we're just encouraging participation all the time. Think about, what's the number one thing that I preach about in this church? Devos. All the time. If you don't do devos, I think it's hard to sit here sometimes. Because, you know, 
I just talk about them so much. But we don't just talk about devils. What's the thing that we're running right now? We're running a, a thing by your door. This is, Lord, who do you want me to reach today? And we're sending out the coolest thing. I, this is so much better than I even thought it was going to be. We're sending out this email every day to pray for somebody to be empowered. To trust him, to be bold, to be anointed. You see it? So you see what we're doing here? It's not, steering teams went down and our discipleship kept going up. <laughs> well, steering teams are supposed to be how we were going to disciple people. It turned out that is a very important part of it, but it turned out that what happened during these last few years was people caught it. People caught the idea that this thing was a self-feeding thing. This was a thing where when you go after God, you discover more of God, and then God does more through you, and then you need God more, and then you discover more of God, and then you do more things, and, then, and it's this thing that happens, this cycle. And so, now watch this. There's four different places that this whole study, this huge, huge, huge study, the most important research in all of Christendom for the last 50 years, Exploring Christ is a category. I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ. My faith is not a significant part of my life. Now, we're 3%, which is below average, okay? And we are working on that. We want to bring that up. That is basically people who don't know the Lord, okay? And getting them to know the Lord. Now, this next category is, I believe in Jesus, and I'm working on what it means to get to know him. Now, that one, we're way below average, and you would say... Just looking at this, you would say, oh, I see, we're just a more mature congregation. That is not true. Actually, they do mature congregations all the time, and they got a ton of people stuck at growing in Christ and close to Christ. That's what they find in their surveys. Churches are stuck because they can't get people into Christ-centered. What is close to Christ? I feel really close to Christ and depend upon him for guidance. We're above average on that. But now look at the last one. Oh my God, let this be every person in this church. My relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. It guides everything I do. That is Christ-centered. We are well above average. We have this, you need to understand, in Christendom, this is about 5% of all Christians. In the reveal study where it originally came from, it was 2% of Willow Creek. 37% is an unheard of number. Is this just because we attract more mature believers? No, they have a whole lot of questions to figure out what's happening to get people there. And what they found in this church was, you're doing something that's causing people to discover self-feeding, to discover Jesus for real. And that when they discover Jesus for real, he becomes everything to them. It wasn't that we just have more mature believers. To the contrary, again, I want to say, in their results, the, most of the time they found mature believers were stuck at close to Christ. And the whole point of reveal and move was how do you get them from close to Christ to Christ-centered? And here's what they found in the original reveal. 85% of the time, a person would cross from one to the other because of a crisis. Financial physical, marital, relational. There was some crisis in their life where they had to cry out to God. And when they cried out to God, they discovered that there was a God there that would answer. And then they became dependent. It became breath. It became the bread of life for them. You see it? And what we said when we started this whole progress, and you remember this if you've been around. I'm not making this stuff up. But when we first started this, I said, here's what our goal is. There's got to be a better way to get people to be Christ-centered than crisis. 
Yes, he will use that, but there's got to be a way to do that without having to do crisis. Well, guess what, you guys? That's what God's been doing here for years. What they said was, is you have this incredibly rapid progress from a person coming to know Jesus to actually getting all the way to Christ-centered. How are you doing this? To the point that she just contacted me and said, I found another church that's the only church that we found that's even close to your archetypes, and they're not where you are. Would you please talk to them and help them figure out what they could be doing in order to get to that next level? Because whatever you're doing is getting people to get there. Now, First of all, thank you, God. If anybody thinks that was because of something we did that was clever, you don't know. <laughs> but there was one thing we did do. We're not going to stay in an old paradigm. We're not going to get stuck in an old wineskin. We're going to go after you, Lord. And we're going to do whatever you tell us to do, no matter what it means. And it has hurt us by the normal measurements, nickels and noses. But guess what we've gotten in return? Phenomenal growth. That's the real growth. And this is real. Now we're far from perfect. Everybody know that? I'm seven minutes over. I'm going to take about Seven more minutes to do what should take 20. But I got to show you the second part of this. Communities. 2016, God spoke to us and said, people aren't in life with each other. Now watch this. Church participation, church, you, you, do you guys all know this? Because I've said it before, but, but about a year, about two years ago, I think it was, a little less than that, about a year and a half ago, all of the major research branches had to dumb down their definition of full-time church going. They took it from four times a month on average to three. And then in a not highly publicized move, in the last six to nine months, all three of them have adjusted full-time church going now down to two times a month. Now, you can say that that's bad. I'm not convinced. I am convinced of something and why, why it's happening. Pastors, churches, feeding themselves because their organization is what motivates them, whereas our motivation is you, are you growing? But they'll say, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as they see the day drawing near. In other words, come to church. Let me ask you a really big question. What's the church look like today compared to what it looked like back then? Why do you need to come to church in today's world? You know why you need to come to church? Because we need the room to look full. It's true. Because we need you to give, and you're more likely to give if you're here. This is really disgusting stuff. 
but it's the world, and we live in the world, and you do need to have some Proverbs mentality about it, but you also need to have the transcendent aspects. Watch this. Here's why people aren't going to church anymore. Meet the duns. Remember we met the ones before? Now we're at the duns. Here's what a dun is. I'm a 55, 56, 60-year-old person. I've gone to church my entire life. I help set up the chairs or usher. I do a little something. Doesn't stretch me, doesn't grow me. Not that you can't do both of those things in a way that does grow you, by the way. But why do I need to go to church anymore? I've heard enough sermons to make me sick. I've heard enough sermons that they're, it's coming out my ears. Why do I need to come to church anymore? Because you want me to come so that your church looks full and so I give you money. And that doesn't seem like a very good reason from my standpoint. This is why. This is what the research is telling us. People are saying, there's nothing, I'm, they're not using me for anything. I literally in the last week had a conversation with a guy who said exactly this. I just, you know, why am I going to church? And this was not this church, of course. But I suspect there are some here too like that. But you get the drift? If you're just coming to do what the church needs, okay, but really, is that a good reason? Is that the right reason? Is that the one that should be the fundamental reason? Because as we said earlier, if organizations are, organizations are perfectly designed to get the results they're getting, if we want different results, we have to change what we're doing. Let me show you the difference between what the church looked like in the first century, the first church that God set up by his touch to show us what the church is supposed to look like. Here's what the church is supposed to look like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. There's a good hermeneutic principle that says anytime something is repeated, look at why it's being repeated. What's being repeated here? See, here's how we think about it. Community oneness discipleship is not about getting together so, uh, every so often for regular scheduled meetings. Church and community that God designed was not about coming to church on Sunday morning and being in a small group on Wednesday night and those are your two times that you give to church and maybe a little bit of service. But you have your life. See, this is close to Christ, right? This is close to Christ talk right here that we're talking about. By the way, Jerry Cook, Patricia, Jerry Cook and your word. And I know you were just getting some water, but, but Jerry Cook, the two, the two last sermons he ever did were here at this church. And you know what the subject was? How to get the church out of the building into Monday morning. How to bring the church to the world because people aren't going to come to the church anymore. Now, he wrote that several years ago, and at that point in time, that was prescient, meaning prophetic. And he's absolutely right, and it's exactly what's happening. Here's what the original church looked like. It wasn't them having their life, and then in their life, there's a meeting for church, and there's a meeting for my small group, and see, that's close to Christ. What is Christ-centered look like? Everything's about him. 
I look around this room and I see two people who everything you do, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it's about Christ. All the time. I could look around this room a little bit further and I'm going to find person after person after person. You're not, you're not working and doing church. You're being a Christian and you just happen to work and do some other things. Right? It's every day. Here's what communities is for us. You can't commute into Bellevue and, and live daily. Why? Because it's the S-curves or it's 405 and the stupid lanes that they've got. You can't come here and do daily life here. Right? But you've got a whole lot of people who live right by you who you can be in their lives on a daily basis. And it's not just you being with them, it's you being with them on mission. Not only on mission, building yourselves up too, breaking bread together, worshiping the Lord, doing the apostles' doctrine, the whole nine yards, but it's also adding to the church daily. It's also ministering to people. It's also pouring yourself out and helping each other pour yourself out. And when you hit something hard, somebody lifts your arms and tells you, you can do this. I know that drug addict that you took into your home has broken your heart. But you can do it again. You can do it, and I'll be here to help you do it. You can't do that from three communities away. You have to live in the community in which you live, but really live in community, not live in church. Is it, we got it, right? It's about living life in communion, in oneness. You in my life and me in yours just as we are in Jesus' life and he is in ours. That's what this is about. That's what God is trying to do. I told you at the beginning there's a word from the Lord. This is it. What's he going to do next? It's not going to be about Sunday morning and Wednesday night Bible study or a once a month community group. It's going to be about living in community with people all the time. And that's where his anointing is going to be. That's where the power is going to be. That's where the growth is going to be to the point that I'm telling you a second thing right now. I believe the Lord is trying to say to us right here. Christians that are genuinely in someone else's life so as to help them are growing and passionate and vibrant and energized in their faith and their walk. Now, is that true? There are many people in here who don't have anybody in your life like that right now. I love you. This is not a condemning word. This is a prophetic word. This is looking forward. What he's saying is, I have been raising you up for 10 years through this process of discipleships in the toilet, through this discipleship journey through Luke. I have been raising you up for such a time as this. I have been raising you up to be effective in other people's lives. And you have been doing devotionals. You have been praying. You have been reaching out to people. You have been doing all of these things. And you don't even know who you are yet. That song that Pam was singing. This is what's happening. This is, I am Christ's. <laughs> he has made me. He has named me. He has claimed me, made me his child. 
And where the anointing is going to be in the future, where I think the Lord is moving it to, is right here. People that will make a commitment to live in community with other people are where God is going to do extraordinary things. Does anybody believe that we should have gotten as good a preaching from the, the people from the congregation as we've gotten? Does anybody believe that we should have gotten such good preaching from those people? Because I can tell you right now the answer is no. People are not that good of speakers. But the reason why it's worked is because God is so thankful that we're trying to do something that brings everybody in that he's anointing it to work. People are preaching way above their pay grade. Well, guess what? That's how we're supposed to be living our whole Christian life. <laughs> it's all way above our pay grade. It's him having to do it because we can't, right? Not just in sin, but in anointing. You cannot possibly heal somebody. You cannot possibly give them the word that they need for life. But he can, and he wants to. And when he does it through you, you're like, oh my God, that is so fantastic. I want more of that. Let me do my devotionals now. Let me be willing to help that, that office mate, that work mate, that, that um, friend, that family member. Let me reach out in a new way. Amen. But here's the other part. Christians who are not, are not. If you're sitting here and you're going, my life isn't growing in Christ and passionate and vibrant and energized, I would ask you, there's probably one person in here who's actually serving somebody else and they're not growing passionate, vibrant, energized. But as the rule of thumb that we would all understand... If you do have somebody in your life that you are sowing into in a real way, in a daily way, in a real way, in a life way, not in a carefully scheduled time way, if you are doing this, then your life is on fire to some degree. And here's the point. If you're not, it's not. And it's not condemning for him to say that. What he's trying to say is, I'm telling you how to get out of it. I'm telling you what to do. There are people that I'm putting before you. Take the thing that we're doing seriously. What is communities really all about? Involvement. Here's what this whole word comes down to. This is what God showed me after two weeks of pulling me out of the day-to-day -day grind and giving me this big overview picture. Here's what he said. Engaged. All I've been trying to do is get you engaged. And this congregation, to a remarkable degree, has responded to that on a whole bunch of different ways. And God is saying, trust me and let me do more. Let me take you just a little further. A little further. A little further. How many people know Bob Goff? Bob Goff has a brand new book out, G-O-F-F. -F. Look it up, buy it, read it. Brand new book. It's a follow-up to his first book, which was unbelievable. And the second book just came out. And what he's telling you is what happened when I gave my life fully to Christ and let him do anything with me that he wanted to do. And this is a guy who had a, a, a business and all kinds of other agendas and everything else. And it's an extraordinary follow-up of the story about what goes on when you do this. And I'm telling you, that's a prophetic book where God is trying to tell the body of Christ, this is where I'm going to be. Would you like to join me? Come, come. 
If you're not in the Empower Prayer thing, send me an email right now, office at lakesam.org or kurtbrunk at lakesam.org. Send an email right now and get on there. Or go to the app and sign up. God help me here. Jeez, we went so long. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but you just encourage me when it's not this good. We're going to do something. Pam, come up here. I, I, I think we have to do this exercise, okay? I just can't not do it. I'm sorry we're late, and I'm just apologizing, but I'm asking you to do something. You have before you a piece of paper and pencil or pen. Pull that out. What does a true Christian and therefore Christianity look like? It is engaged, and I want you to do this. While she gives us a little bit of background, I want you to write this down. Literally, you know what I'm doing right here, right? This is that mnemonic type exercise. When you're writing out scripture, you're, not, you're writing it out to ponder every word that you're writing. And I want you to ponder what I believe to be a word from the Lord to us so that you will help make this a part of your life. So thank you, Pam. On the three by five card, write down number one and number two. The words. Yeah, you don't have to write down the meditative exercise, write down, but just take it from number one and write down community slash oneness slash discipleship. And as you're writing, what I want you to do is to contemplate it, right? We're trying to get this down in our hearts, down in our lives, where it becomes something in us. So just take the moment to do it.
while you're still writing, let me just say, now take this home and put it by your computer. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it. And then start asking this question. What does this mean to me? What's he asking of me? Right? Lord, in Jesus' holy and most magnificent name, with overflowing love, with thanks, thanksgiving, and with... I just want to thank you for speaking to us. You tell us that you always tell your saints what you're going to do. Then it's just up to us as to whether or not we'll follow. God, we even come to you at that and say, we believe, help our unbelief by your strong right arm. Get us to follow. I think you're going to be asking something of us in terms of life that is going to look a lot more like Acts than it does like Bellevue. And I'm asking in Jesus' holy and precious name, get us home. Get us there. Only you can and you do. Reach down in front of you.